detected some dissension between the Jewish Christians, the ethnic Jews who had known the Holy One of Israel in tradition their whole lives, and then the Gentile Christians, those who were new to the faith and had a new faith journey, who had heard of Christ and accepted Him as Savior. But there was real dissension. It'd almost be like Democratic Christians and Republican Christians getting a letter today. They both thought they were right. And so we look today at Romans. There's a flow that we are introduced to in this letter that he writes of good theology. In the first three chapters, he wants to make very clear that it is not works that gets you to God. Works are not enough. Matter of fact, he says we've all fallen short of God's glory. The next chapter just connects the Gentiles to Abraham and to the fact that we're connected by faith. Not by a bloodline, but by faith. Then the next section, chapters 5 through 7, as it's broken down, the law has led us all to the same Savior. The Jewish Christians, the Gentile Christians, it all leads to one holy God through Jesus Christ. And that's what he's trying to emphasize there. Romans 8 is the wonderful, beautiful doctrine of eternal security where Paul is in a state of worship. He says, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And that's what brings us to our passage today in chapters 9 and 10. And the Gentiles are asking, well, what of the Jews now? They've found this new faith and they've come in and they've realized that Israelites, they've had an opportunity and all the prophecies in the Old Testament to recognize their Savior. But many of them did not. And so the Gentile Christians are thinking, are you putting them away? God, what do you have to say about the, the Jews and about the Israelites? Well, Paul argues his point and to claim that there is something yet to be done with the Jewish with the Jews. And so if you'll stand with me as we read Romans chapter 11, verses 7 through 24. This is Paul Paul speaking to the church of Rome. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor. Eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I'm speaking to Gentiles. And as much then as I'm an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, 
were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you. Provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now, I'm an English teacher by trade at the moment, and that can be a curse sometimes. First of all, if you notice the title of my sermon, I am smarter than you is. Now, I know that that grammar just ain't right. But uh, I do uh, sometimes in my advantage in my classroom when I'm teaching, I'll write some things on the board or I'll type something on the smart board. And I'll purposely make it incorrect. And they'll notice and they'll say, Mr. Thomas, that's not right. Very good, very good. But that's all just a setup for a time that I might be thinking about something else when I'm writing something on the board and they actually catch me. And they might say, uh, Mr. Thomas, don't you need another O on that too? And I'll, I'll immediately say, well, yes, Johnny, that is good. We're talking about the adverb and not the preposition. Very good. And I'll correct it knowing that I didn't notice it the first time. But the adults, oh, man, the adults, when they find out, sometimes I'm, I just like to say, yeah, I'm a high school teacher. Because when adults find out I'm an English teacher, it's almost like I'm immediately going to be quizzed the rest of the time we have dialogue. So if I make a mistake, they're like, oh, and you're an English teacher? And I just want to say, oh, you have never made a semantic or a grammatical speech error in your life. Will you teach me? In the end, what I'm talking about is pride. Pride from myself and pride from them. And the key thing I want to say that I think this text unlocks is that pride keeps us from God. The condescending behavior is going on in Rome. The Gentile Christians are saying, this makes lots of sense to us. Jesus came, he died on a cross, he's resurrected, he's your savior. But it seems the Jews have missed it. So they think maybe we should cast them off. Well, Paul tells us in verse 8, as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. The key element even to that verse I want you to notice is who is doing what? God gave them a spirit of stupor. I want to make a couple of points here before we move on in this text. First off, Romans 3.10, it says that all deserve this treatment. All have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us deserve to be hardened. Some of you might say, it's not fair. I say, praise God, it's not fair. Because if he were fair, 
we would all fall short and we'd all deserve to be hardened by Him. But by God's grace, He does give grace to some. The second thing, and please don't leave yet, I think God gives us hope in this passage. But the second thing is that this is a God-centric passage. Paul is not interested in coddling us. He's not interested in making us feel good about ourselves. He is not about self-esteem here. He is about God-esteem in this passage. And that's what I hope to, to help. See here how the king of the ethnic Israel was talking or asking for justice towards the proud. In the next verse it says, David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. This is a reference to Psalm 69. And his fellow Israelite enemies are boasting over him. Some who have not, who have forsaken God's law and have decided to live for themselves, to be selfish. And he's saying, I hope that their table is a snare to them. The place that they congregate and talk about things that are dishonoring to you. The times that they come and scheme over me. They were celebrating over David's sin. Because in verse 5 of that same passage, he's expressing to God he knows he sinned, but they are gloating over him. He's talking of the Israelites that were hardened and their table, but it seems that David is encouraging the hardening that God brings. Here's the question in this text. Could the Gentiles be reveling in their God-given wisdom and holding it over the Jews? Was their pride keeping them from experiencing God? So the Roman Gentile Christians have forgotten who was making the major decisions. They were blaming the Israelites for being stupid. But God had a bigger plan. Paul quizzes the Roman Gentiles in verse 11. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. There's a purpose for why this is happening. So as to make Israel jealous. In Acts 28, 28, it says that salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. Well, who's sending? Who's in control? Who's doing this? It's by God. So did God abandon the Jews? That's one of the questions. And it says, no, he still cares for the Jews. All we have to look at is verse 13 and 14. Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles. You know, the smarter than you is group. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. He says, don't count out the Jews. God chose them. If we think about it this way, if they were not blessed by God in the early times specifically, we wouldn't have the Old Testament to look back and see that God's had that plan since Genesis, since the creation of the world. We wouldn't be able to connect the dots. Paul is calling the Gentiles to be humble in their view of the ethnic Jews. Look at verse 17. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. Don't be arrogant toward the Jewish believers. So I have a story here to, to communicate that, that this passage has spoke to me personally, that I've been arrogant toward other branches. I grew up in the church, and some of what I took from my church experience when I was young 
was to be good and to do the right things. Now, I'm not saying that's what the preacher was preaching, but I am saying that's what God had allowed me to hear. So when I became a follower of Christ and I submitted to God in college and started to say, you know, I'm going to let the Bible speak into my life. That's a good thing, but I took it and I started to experience pride by saying, you know, I'm a true Christian. And they're nominal Christians. I get it. And they don't. Well, then I just continued in my pursuit of the Lord. Stumbling along the way by, by all means. And then I found out about this group on campus that shared their faith. And I'm like, oh, i got to meet these people. So I walked up and met the campus outreach director. And talked with him for a little bit. And then I ended up letting him disciple me while I was in college. And I said, oh discipleship. Then I started to think, I am a disciple of Christ. Those are just Christians. I get it. They don't. Now, I love the ministry of Campus Outreach. It's not that I was taught that. It's that that's where my heart was. And then I continued to go to church. Matter of fact, I started coming here. And I recognized, as, as Dean would preach and others would come up and they would speak, that uh, there was just something about kind of the way they would present God's Word that I'm like, what is this? And oh, theology, good doctrine. So I started thinking, the PCA, we have good doctrine. Those other churches. The question is, do you look and think in any group and look at them and say, what idiots? I'm smarter than them. Now, you may not say that. We're all in the church right now. You're probably, probably good, doing the right things, saying the right things. Like, instead of, what idiots? Oh, bless their heart. <laughs> but deep inside, it's wicked. Deep inside, we truly do believe we're better than others sometimes. And I think Paul is warning the Gentiles to be careful that pride will keep us from God. So... Here, the question is, uh, in this passage, I think they have the same disease. They're, they have a danger of self-confidence, especially these Gentiles that he's talking to. Verse 18 of Romans 11, he challenges them by saying, If you're arrogant, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. This last week, I went to Charlotte to a church uptown, and it was actually for the presbytery uh, and trying to make sure they're going to approve for me to go to the next step. And anyway, when I realized this meeting is in Charlotte, I was like, oh, no, because I hate driving to Charlotte. I am terrible at it. Now, I know some people in here that work in Charlotte, and they're like, it's really easy to navigate, and I can get where I need to. Well, you guys are smarter than I is, because it is very difficult. About 90% of the time, I'm going to take two or three wrong turns before I finally realize how to get there. But this time, even through construction, I was, I was turning, and, and it was like the Red Sea parted, and I saw where I was supposed to be. I did not miss one turn. Thank you. Thank you. I didn't miss one turn, but when I saw the sign, it still kind of threw me off because the first thing I saw on this sign, if you've ever been to Uptown Church, it says self-help, real big. And then under it, it's got Uptown Church. And I thought, isn't that relevant to the way we can view life? It was... 
Basically, being a teacher, you get a lot of opportunities to be able to hear kind of what's going to help these kids learn things. And so we hear a lot now in the, in the trends of America, students with their self-esteem, self-image, self-worth. If you go to the bookstores, you'll see a self-help section, and there are tons of New York Times bestsellers. To counter that, a man named David Pallison from CCEF, which is a Christian counseling organization, he said, and I believe this is what we all need to hear, true healing and spiritual formation is not found in discovering self. All the counseling is not found in discovering self as much as losing selfishness. Losing self-image, self-esteem, self-praise, and self-righteousness, and turning to God in praise with a focus on God-image, God-praise, and God-righteousness. Amen. Paul is saying in this Romans 11 passage, quit looking at yourself. He says to the Gentiles and to us in verse 19, Then you Gentiles will say, Branches were broken also that I might be grafted in. He says that is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will He spare you. Do not be proud of your wisdom. Who gave it to you? Pride will keep you, will keep us from God. One more passage, same letter. Paul says in Romans 12, verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Pride will keep us from experiencing God. One of the commentaries I read in looking over this passage said, Boasting is the very opposite of faith. Our humble acceptance of God's gift of salvation. Boasting is the very opposite of faith. Verse 22 says, You too will be cut off. And that's kind of scary. That can ask the question, uh, Do we Christians, are we able to lose our salvation? Well, Dean mentioned last week kind of this twofold principle of what we have at church. We've got this thing called the Visible church, and that's everyone that comes to church, everyone we can see, everyone who would, who would make the trip. And that's who Paul's writing to. Just to get it clear, he's writing to a church. They're reading this letter to everyone. But then there's also, in the visible church, there's this invisible church that possess true faith, that trust in God's kindness through Jesus Christ. So you have the visible church that Paul is talking to, and he's trying to warn them, as well as believers, do not let pride get the best of you. It's dangerous. It is not safe. But he is speaking to those in the visible church that have shown up that day, that you can be cut off. Don't think because you have some wisdom, some self-wisdom, that you're safe. So, I can't judge you. God can, and you can. You can judge yourself with this measuring stick. I want you to answer these questions in your head. According to verse 18 in this text, do you 
boast about yourself and promote how smart you is? Or do you boast in the hope that God has given you? Do you think that God responds to your good works with salvation? Or does your salvation come from God and you respond with works? Do you have to understand everything about God before you trust Him? Or do you fear Him knowing that is the beginning of all wisdom? Have you fallen away from God? Or do you trust in His kindness? Do you feel guilty as I read those questions? Are you on the wrong side? Is there possible guilt? Well, not, you know, maybe I, I made a decent grade there, Trent. Maybe an 80%. You're still guilty. Are you not sure? You're kind of like, ah, this is all confusing. Well, here's the answer. There is hope. And the hope is in verse 22, as I'll read it. Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity towards those who have fallen. But, severity towards those who have fallen, but... God's kindness to you, provided you continue in His kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. The call is to trust in God's kindness through Christ. He is the true vine. Don't let your pride and self-help and self-worth keep you from experiencing God. Verse 24 in Romans 11 speaks of a tree and it calls you a branch. So I want to take that text and I want to put us, I want to graft us into another text. And this text is in John 15. And this is a time where the Apostle John is actually uh, documenting what Jesus is saying. So this is Jesus Christ speaking about the whole branch symbolism. And this is what Jesus says. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. The Christian life is not easy, but it is worth it. He prunes that, we may, that it may bear more fruit. Then he says, already you are clean. Why? Because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. Unless you abide in me. And then he wraps up this section with, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. Nothing. If you have fallen away, if you've been a branch, if you feel like you've been a branch that's been discarded, you've been cut off, you feel distant from the Lord... Can God forgive you? Yes. Not just because I say so or you say so, but His promise for those Jews is a promise for you as well. He speaks to this passage in Romans 23, uh, Romans 11, verse 23. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. God has the power. Ask God and He can bring you back. It says we take off into our weeks and we start to think about these things. I want to charge you in a few areas. First, repent of your arrogance and pride. 
to God and possibly to others. Praise God for being the one who gives and takes away because He's God. Praise Him. Praise God for the cornerstone that is Christ. His literal kindness to us. Without Him, no one comes to the Father. No Republican, no Democrat, except through Christ. No theologian, except through Christ. No sinner has a chance, except through Christ. No Gentile, except through Christ. No Israelite, except through Christ. Through Christ and through Christ alone, we can see and experience God. Pride will keep you from experiencing God. Christ is the kindness that connects us to each other and to the loving Holy Father. Choose Christ. Let's pray. Father who art in heaven, thank you. Thank you for how you're writing the story. You're the author and the perfecter of our faith. You're the one who gives us wisdom. You're the one who gives us life. You're never at your holy desk shuffling papers around saying, Oh no, Trent's messed up. What am I going to do? You know how to take dead things and make them alive. You know how to take bad and turn it good. You know how to let people who are lost make us jealous to know you. Thank you that you considered us. Thank you that you opened up your world to us. Thank you for the promise of grace and life, and heaven, and perfect peace if we trust in you and we trust in your kindness. God, help us to come to you. Help us to say everything. You are everything. You're all to us. In Christ's name, amen. Would y'all stand as we're